So we're picking up on the book by Jim Keith, Saucers of the Illuminati. We finished chapter seven, and we're now about to start a very interesting chapter. Chapter eight. This is called Philip K. Dick and the Illuminati. Very interesting stuff. Let's get started. The most relevatory account I have come across of a possible contact with an alien intelligence is the book Valis by Philip K. Dick. Aspects of the book that seem to be little understood are symbols that point to an encounter of some sort with what we can accurately term the Illuminati. Again, the messages in Valis are coded, and the meanings encoded are Freemasonic, comprising, in fact, a relatively exhaustive recapitulation of Freemasonic lore and agenda. Valis is a semi-fictionalized account of horse lover fat, uh, Philip K. Dick's alter ego, the name formulated from a word derivation of his name and Dick's meeting with what he takes to be God, or at least a God, via the medium of a pink beam of light. Dick dubs this God Valis, a vast, active, living intelligence system. Dick's vision came about when, in March of 1974, and suffering from two impacted wisdom teeth, he waited in his apartment in Anaheim, California, for a prescribed painkiller from a local pharmacy. When the delivery person from the pharmacy arrived at the door, it was a young woman wearing a golden fish emblem necklace. Dick reflects that, quote, For some reason, I was hypnotized by the gleaming golden fish. I just forgot my pain, forgot the medication, forgot why the girl was there. I just kept staring at the fish sign. What does that mean? I asked her. The girl touched the glimmering golden fish with her hand and said, This is a sign worn by the early Christians. She then gave me the package of medication. In that instant, as I stared at the gleaming fish sign and heard her words, I suddenly experienced what I later learned is called anamnesis, a Greek word meaning literally loss of forgetfulness. I remembered who I was and where I was. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, it all came back to me. And not only could I remember it, but I could see it. The girl was a secret Christian, and so was I. We lived in fear of detection by the Romans. We had to communicate in cryptic signs. She had just told me all this 
And it was true. This sudden influx of knowledge had been caused by a pink beam of light that had shot out of the necklace the girl was wearing, the beam apparently penetrating directly into Dick's head and imparting a vast array of information, including the knowledge of several languages that he had not previously understood. Aside from feeling a sort of hyper-rationality, Dick sensed that he had been taken over by a superior mind that had memories dating back in excess of 2,000 years. Later, Dick was to hear troubling, grotesque messages coming out of his radio telling him to die and would have an all-night display of graphic inner vision similar to thousands of abstract paintings seen in rapid succession projected upon the mind's eye. He also experienced a superimposition of the features of ancient Rome onto those of the California landscape in the 1970s, informed the conviction that the present world was locked in what he termed a, quote, black iron prison, unquote, a state of spiritual and probably physical entrapment. From these experiences and others, Dick evolved a complex body of speculation from which he drew a trio of books that included Vallis and a lengthy exegesis consisting of several thousand pages of handwritten notes, speculating on the nature of his contact with what he determined to be God. The outcome of Dick's experiences with Vallis was not altogether benign. After the encounter and a breakup with his wife, Dick attempted to kill himself ending up in a mental ward instead. What Dick believed to be the source of his contact is particularly interesting. Quote, Where did the plasmate, Vallis, originally come from? After a pause, Fat said, from another star system. You wish to identify that star system? Serious, Fat said. Oh boy. In Vallis, Dick relates the fairly widely known information on the African Dogon tribe and their startling and unexplainable exact astronomical knowledge about the Sirius star system, as described in The Sirius Mystery by Robert G.K. Temple, possibly a pseudonym. The Dogon, Dick says, got their cosmogony and cosmology directly from the three-eyed invaders who visited long ago. The three-eyed invaders are mute and deaf and telepathic, could not breathe our atmosphere, had the elongated, misshapen skull of Ignaton and emanated from a planet and the star system Sirius. 
although they had no hands, but had instead pincer claws, such as a crab has, they were great builders. Dick has horse lover fat dreaming of these three-eyed creatures. They manifested themselves as cyborg entities wrapped up in glass bubbles, staggering under masses of technological gear. Soviet technicians could be seen hurrying to repair malfunctions of the sophisticated technological communications apparatus enclosing the three-eyed people. I will have more to say about the Dogon later in this text. Dick also believed that, quote, our world is still secretly ruled by the hidden race descended from Akhenaten, and his knowledge is the information of the macro mind itself. From Akhenaten, this knowledge passed to Moses, and from Moses to Elijah, the immortal man who became Christ. But underneath all the names, there is only one immortal man, and we are that man. Real time ceased in 70 CE, Dick asserted, with the fall of the Temple of Jerusalem, i.e. the Temple of Solomon. It began again in 1974. The intervening period was a perfect spurious interpolation aping the creation of the mind. The empire never ended. But in 1974, a cipher was sent out as a signal that the Age of Iron was over. The cipher consisted of two words, King Felix which refers to the happy or rightful king. The two-word cipher signal, King Felix, was not intended for human beings, but for the descendants of Akhenaten, the three-eyed race, which, in secret, exists with us. Dick believed that the person referred to by the two-word cipher, King Felix, is the fifth savior who, Vallis has said, was al either already born or would soon be. Out of the Vallis communications, Dick deduced that he had a mission, that the plasmate's invasion of him represented its intention to employ him for its benign purposes. Of Akhenaten's three-eyed kin, Dick's alter ego fat observes, My God! These are the original builders, to which another character replies, We have never stopped. We still build. We built this world, this time-space matrix. This is reminiscent of the terms with which the Freemasons refer to themselves in such tomes as Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma. There is no mistaking the connection for anyone with the slightest familiarity with Masonic lore. And Vallis, we learn, employs the same mystical communication system as the Masons. All its verbal information is stored as Kabbalah. Kabbalah is an ancient form of mysticism 
that pervades Freemasonry, top of pyramid to base. Dick describes the method by which Vallis initiates secret communication with each other during a handshake, a motion with one finger or two intersecting arcs, a swift expression of the fish symbol, which no one beyond the two persons involved could discern. The connection with the secret handshake of the Freemasons is obvious. In exegesis, Dick amplified on his beliefs. For the first time, I have inferential evidence that a genuine secret fraternity of authentic Extians exists and has affected history and possesses supernatural powers and immortality due to direct links back to Christ. So they are the hidden church, the true hidden church. The two historic interventions, which I am sure of collate, the secret fraternity fights the empire, Rome, in all its manifestations and promotes the evolution of man to higher levels by inner and outer regeneration. The 16th, 17th century Illuminati are connected with this secret brotherhood. Whether the godlike Vallis was involved at all, what was communicated to Dick seems to be approximately what the Freemasons and their brethren want us to believe about their mission, that theirs is an ancient tradition resting on an immortal bloodline that comes from the star system of Sirius, and that fulfillment of their plans, including the rebuilding of the Temple of Solomon and the enthronement of a world king, their secret agenda hidden in their convoluted inner circle cant, is the only salvation for this soon-to-be one world. Dick seems to believe that Vallis took the form of a satellite, firing electronic beams of information down upon the Earth. Or, perhaps, crop circles? He has one of his characters say, quote, The satellite had control of them from the get-go. It could make them see what it wanted them to see. The satellite has occluded them, all of them, the whole fucking United States, unquote. There are other, other indications that the actual Vallis that Dick contacted may have come from another source than Sirius. In Fat's opinion, his apartment had been saturated with high levels of radiation of some kind. He theorized that, quote, the Rosicrucians, the philosophic precursors to the Masons, were telepathically beaming pictures at him, probably boosted by micro-relay systems of an advanced order. But then, when Kadinsky paintings began to harass him, he recalled that the main art museum at Leningrad specialized in just such non-objective moderns, and he decided that the Soviets were attempting telepathically to contact him. 
Later, Dick theoretically pinpointed the transmissions as originating from the schemes of a crippled rock musician named Minnie. He visited the Soviet Union one time. He said he wanted to see certain experiments they were conducting with microwave information transfer over long distances. Fat himself comes to believe within the pages of Alice that, quote, all that was involved from the start was advanced laser technology. Many found a way to transmit information by laser beam using human brains as transducers without the need for an electronic interface. The Russians can do the same thing. Microwaves can be used as well. In March 1974, I must have intercepted one of Minnie's transmissions by accident. It irradiated me. Actually, I doubt that Dick felt the source of his infernal quote-unquote enlightenment that happened to him in real life in much the same fashion as it was depicted in the partially fiction Vallis, as shown by his statements in his exegesis, was a rock musician. It happens that information beam experiments of exactly the type that Dick speculated were on at about that time being conducted by both the CIA and the KGB. CIA Director Richard Helms described research taking place in the 1960s into, quote, sophisticated approaches to the coding of information for transmittal to population targets in the, quote, battle for the minds of men, unquote, as well as an approach integrating biological, social, and physical mathematical research in attempts to control behavior. He described the use of modern information theory, automata theory, and feedback concepts for a technology for controlling behavior using information inputs as causative agents. Hmm. Anna Keel, in Full Disclosure Magazine, writes, Due to the CIA's Project Pandora, it is now known that applied biological and other frequencies can also be used as direct information inputs, e.g. feeding a feeling or emotion, and to reinforce brain rhythms associated with conditioning and information processing. One way to get such a signal into a human may be through use of a high-frequency, high-carrier frequency. Results of research into information processing, unconscious processes, decision-making, memory processes, and evoked brain potentials would likely be exploited or integrated in an interdisciplinary system. For difficult subscribers, there are substances that have psychological or psychobiological effects ranging from subtle through devastating and that cause increased susceptibility to conditioning. Some of these substances are similar to ones which are recognized by neurotoxicologists or behavioral toxicologists as occupational hazards. Some are variations of substances used experimentally in laboratories to produce selective damage in certain neuronal tracts. Many substances needn't be ejected or 
orally ingested, as they might be inhaled or applied with skin transferal agents, i.e. chemicals like the popular industrial solvent dimethylsulfides. DMSO, which can in fact enhance the applied substance's effect. For instance, some compounds cause damage that produces increased sensitivity to stimulus, distraction, or flooding of thought associations and enhance susceptibility to influence, i.e. a state where automatic parallel information processing, which usually takes place outside of awareness and interferes with conscious or more intentional limited channel processing, while causing acute mental symptoms, wouldn't be the goal in groups producing mild distraction and ego-weakened blurring between the sense of I and you would enhance some kind of conditioning and promote suggestibility, then perhaps transmitted thought associations, the voice of God, lucky advice, or whatever, can more easily get through and have an effect. Convenient to the agencies involved in covert influence is that among primary symptoms of schizophrenia or mental illness are ideas that one is being influenced by transmissions, e.g. radio frequencies, voices, or even telepathy. Unless complaints about covert psychological weapons are well organized, they would tend to be discounted as indicative of mental imbalance. Another approach that may have been used is the transmission of key concepts to matters that the subject is already conversant in, creating a realignment of the subject's sense of reality by the injection of just a few bits of information, images, or sentences. In Dick's case, this might have involved accessing his study of religious symbolism and history. A fast-acting hallucinogen and a beam transmission of religious concepts might have made him very susceptible to the idea that, due to an unexplainable event of gnosis, he had tapped into the secrets of reality. Dick describes a message broadcast out over the airwaves by one of the largest TV stations in the world, NBC's Los Angeles outlet, reaching many thousands of children with this split-second information, which would be processed by the right hemispheres of their brains, received and stored and perhaps decoded below the threshold of consciousness, where many things lay slumbering and stored. He termed the message the King Felix Cipher and reports that the U.S. Army cryptographer studied it but couldn't discern who it was intended for or what it meant. Dick describes the way in which the message was broadcast. On the screen, the words Food King appeared, and then they cut instantly, rushing their film along as fast as possible so as to squeeze in as many commercial messages as possible. What came next was a Felix the Cat cartoon. One moment, Food King appeared on the screen, and then, almost instantly, the words, also in huge letters, Felix the Cat. There it had been, the juxtaposed cipher, and, in the proper order, King Felix. I don't know whether the King Felix cipher of the Food King slash Felix the Cat messages were actually broadcast, other than in Vallis, that is, 
but discounting the possibility out of hand would be unwise. Certainly, similar messages have been sent over the airwaves, such as the eye in the triangle station break presented by CBS during 1992. A perfectly clear representation of the eye in the triangle was shown, quickly metamorphosizing into abstract patterns. Curious as to whether I was projecting my own fixations, I pulled an audience of about 100 people from the podium at a UFO convention. The majority of them had also noticed the depiction. Another television subliminal was the image of the Statue of Liberty projected between the film frames of an ALF cartoon as reported in TV Guide. Surely that image must have slipped into the programming by some overzealous right-wing patriot sulking in the CBS editing room. So one would tend to believe, but check out what conspiracy theorist and Freemasonic expert Norma Cox has to say in her Secrets newsletter on the subject of Lady Liberty. This is the statue of the moon goddess Diana. This queen of heaven is also the queen of democracy. Diana's right arm holds a great torch, symbolizing the sun high in the air. The left arm, right and left symbolic of male and female, grasps a tablet which bears the date the declaration of the Declaration of Independence. A crown with huge spikes like sun rays rests on her head. The crown covertly represents our satellite, the moon. Note the similarity between Juno holding aloft a sword and Diana, whose statue, symbolizing freedom, equality, and worldwide brotherhood, stands in the New York Harbor. Worshipped as Juno Lucina, the bringer of light, Illuminati's adoration of this moon goddess ranks only slightly below that of the god of the sun, who, in the case of Juno, is Jupiter, Zeus, her husband. I've been following examples of the interjection of occult symbolism via other conduits. One of these, amazingly, impossibly, is camel cigarette advertising. Although the media has been hip to the idea that the cigarette company is specifically targeting young people with their cartoon, Joe the Camel, cigarette campaign, no one that I know of has spotted the fact that the camel ads are riddled with subliminal imagery, including occult subliminal content. It begins with the camel image itself, the camel being a symbol of Isis, according to Aleister Crowley. Other images I have noted in these ads are obviously the phallic snout of Joe the Camel. This representation has been noted by other, including mainstream writers. The phallus being a seminal occultist obsession, a tiny representation of a man with erect phallus on the cigarette package's front, and a sprinkling of other important occult symbols such as the rose, the moon, the ocean, the eye in the triangle, and the pyramid, all Isis or Illuminati symbols prominently featured for no apparent reason in camel advertising. There is even a depiction in one ad of Joe the Camel as George Washington. Is it possible that Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea were onto something in their Illuminatus trilogy when they suggested that George Washington was impersonated by Adam Weishaupt after the suppression of the Bavarian Illuminati? and that this is the significance of this ad? Nah. But to return to Philip K. Dick, ultimately, the Vallis Enigma is difficult to interpret 
with any absolute sense of certainty about what took place in that day of March 1974, it shines with points of illumination whose meaning remains elusive against the explanations of prosaic reality. What we do know is that, for whatever reason, in whatever fashion, Philip K. Dick had almost the entire Illuminist-slash-Freemasonic mythos fired into his forebrain, and then he struggled with these images, trying to make sense of their symbolism for the short period of time that remained in his life. Either he was force-fed a massive injection of Freemasonic mythology via electronic beam, as he believed, or in a moment of dreadful illumination, or perhaps hallucinogenic receptivity, Philip K. Dick saw the truth of the world. So, we're leaving off here. Um, we're about halfway through the book now. The next phase, the next chapter is chapter 9, The Serious Connection. And here is when things start to get very, very interesting. So, um, I want to encourage people to continue to listen to these.